morning, New Life Midtown. You guys look beautiful this morning. I'm so excited for you guys to be here with us this morning, both in person and online. Welcome, welcome. If you guys don't mind standing up with me as we get to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.
Happy Thanksgiving, friends. Glad to know the turkey did not keep you sleepy here this morning. But we came ready to praise the Lord. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 100, starting in verse 4, verses 4 and 5, he says, he talks about enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And he gives a response as to why we do that. And he says in the very next verse, he says, for the Lord is good and his loving kindness endures forever. And his faithfulness endures through generation after generation after generation. Friends, this is the reason why we come with expectation and why we enter into the house of the Lord with thanksgiving. It's because we are acknowledging that the Lord is good. His love endures forever and he's faithful throughout all generations. And the church says amen to that. That's a good preaching statement right there. If this is your first time visiting us here at New Life Midtown, we're a rowdy bunch. We believe that God is here, that we can encounter the presence of God. And it's not necessarily us just trying to reach and grasp God. It's actually God has been here the whole time and he's reaching out for us. So if we're a little bit loud, if, we're, if we sing songs of joy, if we get a little excited, if we get into our time of worship, it's because we're responding to the goodness and the graciousness of a God who desires to know us. So we're glad that you're here. And of course, if you've been here for you know, I don't know several Sundays, you get the point that we just love to worship God. We love to go all out for it. So, friends, for our call to worship this morning, let's do something a little bit different. Instead of reading a psalm together, let us pray a prayer. This is a prayer that's being prayed over thousands of churches around the globe. In an act of solidarity, in an act of unity, let's pray this prayer together. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Friends, let us worship this God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit this morning with hearts full of thankfulness for His compassion and His love. Let's respond to Him this morning.
Father God, we are so grateful for all that you have done for us. Truly, we have entered into your gates with thanksgiving. We've entered into your courts with praise. And now we have come to worship you, come to taste and see that you alone are good, God. How good you are, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. So good, so faithful. Come on, keep your eyes upon Jesus. Begin to thank him. Begin to worship him. with a million stars yes so good and still he holds my heart we stand in awe of who you are God come on let's sing church our father in heaven the light of salvation oh how good is he the breath of Oh, yes, God. He's the God of second chance. How good is he? He's so good. When a sinner's heart is all I have to bring. Yet still he welcomes me. He welcomes you and I to his table. How good is he? Everything 
how good is he if he never did another thing for me he is all i ever need how good is he sing that again if he never did if he never did another thing for me he is all i'll ever need now father in heaven the light of salvation come on you be the choir this morning sing Can we keep that hand clap of praise going here for a moment? Oh, God. The Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. Lord, will we praise you even when everything doesn't seem like it's going right or everything isn't as it should be? Will we bring an offering of praise and thanksgiving to you today because you're worthy, because you're good? Friends, what I want to do right now is invite you into a space where you can just take some personal inventory. 
of the areas of your life where you're grateful for the goodness of God. Just take a moment. Let thanksgiving enter into your mind. Let it well up within your heart. Let it come out of your mouth. Thank him for his goodness, his unchanging character. He's predictable. He's faithful. He's constant. He's unchanging. And God, we thank you that you're a God that we can count on, that you're a God who's faithful. In every season, in every situation, in every circumstance of life, God, we know that we can trust you because you're faithful. Lord, we thank you that you're always moving and working on our behalf. God, that you're always moving and working on our behalf. And God, for that, we're thankful. Lord, that you're not distant and you're not aloof. You're not careless. You're not indifferent. And for that, God, we thank you today. Look, you're a God who draws near. And we thank you for that. Thank you that you stepped into humanity, God, that you became one of us so that you could redeem us. And God, I'm thankful for salvation. Friends, are you thankful for salvation today? God, thank you for wiping away all my sins, for breaking the power of sin off of our lives, for delivering us, God, for pulling our feet out of a pit and putting our feet upon a rock and putting a song of praise in our mouths. God, I'm thankful. Lord, I'm thankful that you broke addictions and bondages off of our lives. Oh, God, I'm thankful for your mercy and for your grace that are never ending. So today, Lord, from your people to you, we just say thank you. Our hearts, oh God, are filled with gratitude. Our hearts are filled with thanksgiving. Beyond a season, beyond a cultural holiday, God, mark us as a people that are full of gratitude. We pray it today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Beloved, you may have a seat in the presence of the Lord. I think I have figured out the trick to just getting a a, a worship service full of energy. Just hop everybody up with sugar beforehand. (laughs) Load them up with coffee and pie. And man, the place is on fire. (laughs) Whatever it takes, right? No, but with all seriousness, man, you guys leaned in and you guys connected and you guys pressed in and you helped create an atmosphere. You helped create an environment where faith is present, where the presence of God is so tangible, where the glory of God is real. In fact, you're going to hear this in a few moments when when Sarah comes to preach the word. I had never seen this before, but when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God showed him his goodness. So sometimes I think we can make the glory of God something that's so mystical and and nebulous. And yet God is saying, if you will focus on my goodness, my glory will appear. And so I just, I want us to be a people that continue to set our hearts and set our faith and set our natural and our spiritual eyes on the goodness of God. There is always some aspect of his goodness revealed in his character and his nature, demonstrated in his activity towards us that we can pull and we can just like plant right in the middle of our confusion, right in the middle of our frustration and our pain, our disappointment, betrayal, accusation, fear, oppression, whatever the situation is, I promise you if you'll pull his goodness and plant it like a seed, like a flag, 
if you just plant it right in the middle of what you're going through, that goodness will begin to spread and take over every area of your life. I believe it. Well, beloved, welcome to the house of the Lord today. I'm here to encourage you in your giving. And Matthias, again, if we could put Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 6 and verse 7 today just as a framework uh, for our giving, but also just for our entire lives. Look at this verse if you would. Scripture tells us. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. A lot of us know this. A lot of us have memorized this. But I want, to, I want to pull out a unique nuance of this. It says, don't be anxious about anything, about anything. Listen to the language here. It's very, it's very particular language, and it's very all-encompassing. Don't be anxious about anything. Which, if we're really honest with ourselves, there's always something that's nagging at us to be anxious about. Finances, health, relationships, how's the job going, what am I going to do next? What degree am I going to pick? What college am I going to go to? There's always something that's trying to pull us into a state of anxiety. And yet the promise here is that there is a place in God that we can live in that is free from anxiety. And here's part of how we get to that place, how we live in that space. Don't be anxious about anything. But, here's the next word, in everything. Like everything that concerns you. There's nothing that's too great and there's nothing that's too small. Anybody ever lost something and asked God to help you find it? Dude, I'm telling you, I got some stories that'll blow your mind. Some of you are like, no, that's just coincidence. No, I'm talking about like nuts and bolts dropped in grass type of stuff. Like I'm telling you, like crazy sick, like there's no way. And yeah, here's why. Because there is nothing that is too great and there is nothing that is too small that does not concern God. He is concerned about everything that concerns you. And so this is what he says, in every single thing of your life. Now, here's the key. By prayer, by petition, and here's the hinge right here, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. There is a way where everything that you and I do can be done from the posture of thanksgiving. And that there's, there's something, it's like thanksgiving is like the secret sauce, man. I don't know. But thanksgiving opens up doors that were previously closed. Thanksgiving postures our heart in a place of faith and expectation. Thanksgiving reminds us of the never-changing character of who God is. Thanksgiving brings to our remembrance things that he's already done, which already moves us into a position of alignment for something that he will do. Thanksgiving is a form of warfare. Now, for some of you, like, you lock into that, and that excites you. And you're like, oh, yeah, let's go. I love, like, just picking fights with the devil. Some of you, that scares you a little bit. And let me just, as your pastor, say, you don't have to be afraid about that. We're in a spiritual battle, and God has armed you with every ounce of authority and with every weapon that you need to be victorious in this spiritual life. And here is one of these real critical keys, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving silences the enemy. Thanksgiving robs the spirit of complaining and victimization of its power. I'm telling you, and it's simple. So much so that if you do any, like, if you, like, read self-help books or you listen to motivational speakers out there, there's a thing now where these motivational speakers will tell people all you have to do is learn how to take, like, inventory of gratitude. And they'll tell people, God aside... Like five things, the first thing you wake up in the morning, the last thing that you do before you go to bed, think of five things that you're grateful for. And they have tapped into something that is inherently a spiritual principle. It's a spiritual principle of gratitude, right? They're still in our stuff. 
Friends, I'm here to tell you today that you can sing with gratitude. You can go to work tomorrow from a place of gratitude. And at first, maybe you won't, maybe it'll be like a muscle that is just not strong. At first, it may feel like you're faking it, right? Do it out of faith and do it out of obedience. And just wake up and say, Lord, I'm grateful for the job that I have today. Lord, I'm grateful that I woke up this morning. Lord, I'm grateful for the house that I'm living in. Lord, I'm grateful for these clothes that I've put on today. I'm grateful that there's air in my lungs, that I'm breathing. Lord, I'm grateful that maybe it's not the job that I want, but it's a job that I have, and I'm grateful for it. And all of a sudden what happens is that you're taking the building blocks of everything that's around you in life, and you're turning it into praise. And you're building a throne out of the building blocks of the natural experiences of your life. And here's what will happen. With Thanksgiving, God will come in. He'll sit on the throne of your Thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, what you'll find is that not only your mind and your attitude and your heart and your demeanor and your disposition will begin to change, but over the course of time, you'll begin to set atmospheres of Thanksgiving, which will attract blessing to you. Sorry, I did not mean to go all of those places today. I just want to encourage you to give today from a place of thanksgiving. All right. It's not my show today. All right. Let us pray the prayer of of the the, the giving liturgy. There it is. The giving liturgy. I need you to throw that stuff off me and get me on track, bro. All right, friends. No matter how you give, whether you give physically by writing checks or with cash or whether you give online, today I want to encourage you. Let us give from an attitude and a posture of thanksgiving. Because he has given every good thing to us. And so we give back to him with hearts of absolute gratitude and thanksgiving. Let's pray this prayer. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen. Amen. Moms and dads, if you bring your kids close or grandparents or aunts and uncles, just bring your kids in really close. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to bless them as we send them to go receive the word of the Lord upstairs. But we're going to do this by praying the Lord's Prayer together. And again, I invite you to pray together with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, kids, we bless you. We love you. You guys have an incredible time upstairs. Everyone else, I want to invite you to stand. I want you to connect with people that are around you. Make a friend or greet an old friend, and we'll bring the word here in a few moments.
down. I'd love to invite you to start taking your seats. Guys, it's great to see you all this morning. Uh, something funny that I noticed about this morning is the 11 a.m. greeters got to go in early because Pi is a great incentive for getting you here on time. I did. I called you out. I even said to Pastor Jade, I have a comment, and I don't know if I want to make it. And I did it. I couldn't help it. But hey, guys, Pi Sunday. Isn't it a great day? And I just want to say something about the pie. Um, for those of you with children who are in children's church right now who went to church with six pieces of pie in their stomachs and very, like, energy levels just going like this, just, just thank the person serving your kids today when you pick them up. Because undoubtedly, they are feeling the effects right now. Amen. Hey, we also have a leftover pie. So for those of you whose diet starts tomorrow, you can get the pie from the gym after service. I'm talking to myself. My diet starts tomorrow after Pie Sunday. Well, quick announcements for you guys. Uh, number one, Women Are Kindred Holiday Market is on December 9th. So... If you are like me and love to shop, please show up. We'll have women who own small businesses right here in our church. They're selling what they have to sell, and then people from all over the city. And it's a great time to buy gifts for the holidays. So you can sign up at the Welcome Center or online. And you might have noticed, I saw a few of you stop by in the Fireside Cafe. We have the giving tree set up. There's not an actual tree, but there is a table for giving tree. And really, every year, we love to bless families in our city who are in need, who can't afford to buy Christmas gifts for their kids, and we want to bless them. And this year, we are uh, adopting families from Man Middle School. And last year, we did staff members. And this year, we're doing staff and student families. So we have an opportunity to touch not only the staff, but reach the community around. And I think it's going to be really powerful. So we have a few left out there. If you want to participate and give, you can go out. I can help you sign up for that. And you can see the needs that are available. And we'll have more up next week. And that's all I have for you today. Okay, by show of hands, who is burning up in here? Who is, like, super hot? Who's freezing cold? Oh, wow, okay, very good. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, have Carrie take care of that if you would, bro. <laughs> yeah, that AC is going. Like, it was so nice and warm and toasty in first service, and, y'all, it's, it's a little chilly up in here. Okay, uh, Sarah, come on up here if you would. Man, I'm telling you, yeah, give this girl a hand. <laughs> This girl crushed it for service. So I need you not to change one single thing, like word for word. Oh, gosh. Every, no, like, and then all of a sudden, like this mental anxiety. Uh, Sarah has been a faithful member of this house for 12 years, her and her family. I have seen this woman grow. I have seen this woman be an incredible presence of strength in this house and an incredible friend to me and my family. And here's, I just want to say, I didn't do this first service, but I should have. But every single time you get up here, Sarah, like the level of clarity, the level of confidence, the level of authority and the anointing and the strength on your life, they just increase and increase. Guys, I don't want to put any like undue pressure on this woman, but I, <laughs> listen, I see her speaking on national stages. I do. Like she carries something that I think that is well beyond the walls of Midtown. 
And this woman is a gift to have in this house. She is a teacher. She is a student of the word. And she lives what she studies and she lives what she teaches. And listen, we're not taking a step down from Pastor Jade today. Like we're really taking a step up. So I want you to make an atmosphere here that is easy for her to preach and easy for her to teach. And let's stretch forth our hands and pray for her right now. Father, we thank you for the gift and we thank you for the vessel. Lord, I thank you for a life of faithfulness in you. Lord, I thank you for the thousand yeses that she said yes to the invitations of God and the thousand no's where she said no to herself that have brought her to a place, Lord, where she is speaking out of the overflow of her love for you and her love for your word and her love for theology. Lord, I I know that she's not studying just so that she can speak. Lord, she studies because she she wants to know you. And Lord, she has proven herself faithful in secret places. And so today, Lord, it is our honor to to showcase her faithfulness and to receive from the good well that you have built in this woman. So today we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Wow. No pressure at all. (laughs) It's great to be with you guys. My voice is already a little rocky. I told myself during worship, don't sing, don't sing, don't sing. You've got to talk more. And I couldn't help but shout and praise the Lord. Uh, I shout in worship here. I sit on the front row so I can sing really loud. I can shout and nobody's head is in front of me getting it. Um, But I shout to the Lord because I don't want to shout at my kids. I don't want to shout at my husband. I'm going to shout to the Lord. Some of y'all need that word this morning. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, this is not a I'm not, unfortunately, this is not a Thanksgiving message. This is a pre-Advent message, I would say. So happy early Advent. Merry Christmas. How many of you have your tree up and have had it up for a while? Is there anybody who doesn't? I don't want to shame you. No, that's wonderful. People waiting till Advent, and I respect that. My birthday is in the middle of the month, and every year I say, it's my birthday and I want a tree, so you can't tell me no. So we've had our tree up for a couple weeks. But anyway, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy time with family. We have five daughters, three of whom are here with me this morning, and two are who are at home. Hi, kids. And then we also have a little foster guy who lives with us. But we enjoyed the kids' home for the whole week this week. And lots of baking. My seven-year-old made her first apple pie, which she had been just like dying to do. She loves to bake. She made the apple pie, y'all. It's not, I mean, it was, she did great, but mom peeled the apples. And I feel like that's where we need to do the training because that's the worst part, right? But anyway, she did a beautiful job and it was delicious. We did a lot of baking, lots of Uno, lots of just time with the family. And I absolutely loved it. Um, did a little shop. You can imagine a house with that many kids. It gets a little chaotic. There's a lot of dishes, lots of piles and all of that, but we have a lot of fun and a lot of life in our house. And yeah, so my teenagers and I went shopping this weekend to Pottery Barn along this theme and I'm dragging them in there and we're looking at all of these Belgian flax duvet covers with beautifully made beds with perfectly placed 25 pillows and beautiful little gingerbread pillows and decor that's just so gorgeous and we couldn't help but like chuckle a little bit like this will never be our house this won't not in this season maybe when they grow but um, we do our best to keep it clean and keep order but it is not anything Joanna Gaines worthy um But anyway, this morning, I kind of want to, along that theme, just talk about our lives and how 
my desire, the same with my family and living a life with things, the right priorities, right? I want a life with good memories and good habits and good stewardship. I wanna teach my kids these things. And in the same way in my heart and in my life, I wanna build a life that reflects um, good habits and good stewardship and the things that Jesus is doing in me, has done in me and will be doing through me. For the past couple decades, I find myself in these places and this prayer will just like naturally come out of me and it's, Lord, make your home in me. I just want God to make his home in me. Whatever that looks like, whatever mess that pulls me through, I want God to make his home in me. And that's a little bit of what I wanna talk about this morning. I want us to think about how do we build lives that reflect all that God has for us. It doesn't, does that mean our lives are picture perfect? Of course it does not. But I believe that God is taking every piece of our life and he's engaging us to make something beautiful out of it. We're gonna read this morning from 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. Um, And we're also gonna pop into Exodus 32 and 33 if you wanna put a finger over there as well. But while you guys are looking that up, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your presence with us this morning. I thank you, Lord, just as we sang, Lord God, that you um, are worth everything in our lives, Lord God, that you are a firm foundation, Lord God, and that you have done it all to rule over all, Lord God. And I thank you for the, the beautiful future that we all have ahead of us and for the promise that you have ahead of us, Lord God. And I just pray this morning as we open up your word that the roots of your word would go deep into our hearts and into our minds and into the areas of our life where they need to penetrate, Father God. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So First Corinthians, this book of the Bible is one written by Paul. Um, He had gone to the church in Corinth to do missionary work. This was a port city. There's lots of Greek gods, Roman gods, everybody kind of coming together there. And he established a church there. And then he went on to Syria as his next stop for missionary journeying. And when he got to Syria, he started getting these letters about this church in Corinth saying, there's a lot of division. There's some problems happening. Paul, help. So Paul wrote some letters and that's what we're gonna read from today. Um, We're going to start in verse 9 and read on to verse 16. It says, For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. This is the word of the Lord. I love this picture that Paul creates of our lives as God's building, God's temple, God's home. This idea of home has been a little bit of a theme for me. When I think of home, I don't just think of this place where family goes to reunite as maybe some of us experienced last week. I don't just think about the game nights that we experienced as a family sometimes or the gathering around the kitchen or the dishes and all that stuff. 
although I am very blessed to have those experiences, I think more about the place that offers us stability and it's a place that offers us safety and security. There's probably others here who carry that as a very real thought in the forefront of your mind. Maybe you've experienced a home that was unstable and was unsafe. So you carry gratitude when you're in that place of home that carries that safety and stability. Or maybe you, like so many, have experienced a season of your life where you didn't have a home, where have you are maybe one of the hidden homeless on a couch, or maybe you didn't have that place of st- stability or security. But I wanna say that even though I recognize what that home carries for me. It, uh, the home first, before it offers that place of cookies and game nights, it offers that stability for us. That has to come first in order for our life to be established. The reason, another reason that this idea of home really carries a special place in my life. For the first 15 years of my life, my parents did ministry work, um, building or helping homeless shelters for men, for women, for families. So a lot of my early years were fent spent befriending little kids maybe who are coming in off the street or doing Thanksgiving baskets. I have a lot of memories of that. Um, Sorting donations and all of these things, hanging out with guys and playing basketball um, that were just needed a warm place to be. Um, So it's this idea of home carries a special place. And I've even carried that, what I've experienced in that time into later seasons of my life because of the time that I had in that place. Over the last nine years, my family has served as foster parents, being just a safe place for kids who need a place to land for a season of their life while maybe some family gets things together. Um, I say we've cared for everything from infants on feeding tubes to teenagers with attitudes. Um, And we have just loved being able to serve our city in that way. My husband works in the housing market, so he spends his days helping people gain stability through home. Um, And most recently, the last six months, I've served as the director of Mary's Home, which is a program here in Cabo, Colorado Springs for single homeless moms who work hard. It's a high challenge program with high supports, um, but they're working to exit those cycles of poverty and um, the homelessness that they've experienced, many domestic violence. And um, we've been able to provide a really safe, wonderful, nurturing place for them to heal from trauma and to grow um, and exit those cycles. So home is special to me. (laughs) So I appreciate and I value the stable foundation that it provides. In 1 Corinthians where we were reading, verse 11 said, for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Through high school, while my parents are in ministry, I could put some of you army brats to shame if I told you the number of houses that I lived in by the time I graduated high school with my parents. They had kind of an evangelistic spirit and they would go and serve and support ministries and help get them on their feet and then kind of move on to the next thing. Um, So I moved around quite a bit. And for some, that can be like literally an adverse childhood experience if you're familiar with that. But I'm so thankful that I had the Lord in my life because no matter where we went, I was confident and I knew that Jesus went with me and I knew that I could go into a church and a place and I would experience the people of God and that they would be an anchor for me in my relationship with the Lord and my life. So Jesus was this firm foundation. He brought the stability that I needed. I was reading this story in Exodus 32. It's the story of the Israelites and the golden calf. Many of us probably in this room are pretty familiar with some version of it. 
Moses led the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, and he reminds them that they have a covenant with God, that God had established this covenant to make them his people, to establish them in a place that he would prepare for them, and to establish them under his rule. But in this passage in Exodus 32, we see them choosing to bring corruption into the camp instead of just doing what the Lord had asked of them. Moses had taken longer up on the mountain with God than they had the patience for. So they decided, oh, let's go back to some of those old ways and let's add an idol to our worship practices. And Aaron was very quick to oblige. Uh, This moment of boredom enticed them to shift their gaze back to old ungodly actions. We have to be very careful in those moments of our life where we're really bored or even when we're really busy to make sure that the enemy doesn't entice us and change our gaze away from the things that God has asked and required of us. So they don't consciously reject God. We see in verse five that Aaron makes this cap and he says, okay, tomorrow morning we're gonna go worship the Lord, except for this time they're bringing along their calf and some of their uh, Egyptian party habits that I won't name out loud with my daughters in the room along with them as they worshiped. We see that they wanted to ignore what God asked in order to make a less demanding way to worship God. They wanted a savior, but they didn't want a Lord. And God wants to be the Lord of our lives, not in this mean authoritarian sort of like, let me control you sort of way. That's not what he's called us to, which we'll talk about, but he knows best. He knows best. He's worthy of our trust. The Israelites were trying to pretend that God could be changeable, that we could, he was malleable like the cow that they made. Friends, be aware of a grace message that is not based on who Jesus is. Grace always leads us to who God is. It will not change who he is. Later on in this chapter, we see that God's like, I'm gonna smite them all. Like, what are they doing? And Moses reminds God that he is full of loving compassion and tender care for them. And he says, you made a covenant. Sorry, you said you'd do this. And God relents. So we see through this story that God is trustworthy, that he keeps his covenant, that he is a reliable foundation for us. He's the true foundation, but he will not share that position. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul goes on to talk to the church about how we build on this foundation. He says, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. Then in 15, it says, if anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. The Israelites tried to build their covenant, build on their covenant with God with idol worship, and Moses literally burned up the golden calf. But despite their actions, we see God's covenant stayed sure. And Jesus is that covenant for us. He is our sure foundation. He is what we're called to build on. And I love Philippians 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And it talks to us about how to build on the salvation that Christ provided. It says in verse 14, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly to the message of life. That's the foundation. Then I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. 
Sometimes working out our salvation is hard. (laughs) I'm sure many of you know this in very real ways. The world is broken and pain is near to many of us. There's plenty to complain about and plenty of hardship to stop us from engaging in God's work. Weekly, I hear stories from women who've experienced incredibly painful things and a lot of adversity. And they have to choose what they're going to do with that pain. Are they going to let that pain determine who they say God is? Or are they going to remind themselves of who God says he is and fix their eyes on the hope that God has for that story? We remember that God's loving work is a patient work. His loving kindness, his tender compassion, and his mercy, that's what drives his activity. And he'll take his time to reveal it to us. He isn't the source of our pain. And we often, and often we aren't either. We live in a really broken world, but God did come willingly into that pain that he had nothing to do with, right? So that he could bring hope and restoration to it. We live in a day where many of us struggle to enjoy processes that require this kind of patience. We want quick, we want easy, we want cheap. I can be like this. I was saying that Jade mentioned in a sermon a couple weeks ago that he will go to the grocery store and just savor all of the things on the shelf and take his time, pick out ingredients, read the labels and all of that. This is not me. This is not me. I get my phone out. I open up my meal planning app, my healthy and fast meal plan, and I pick out four or five recipes, shoot it to my grocery store, grocery cart on my phone, still, mind you, send it to my house, and they deliver it to my door, and we are no longer having frozen pizzas and chicken nuggets. And it is wonderful um, that that is not how the work of God is in our life most of the time, right? There are times when he does amazing, miraculous things, but um, he works through those slow processes, I mentioned in first service that there's actually research that says that stopping and savoring things, that taking the time to be grateful for these processes, taking the time to be grateful for the things God is doing in our lives literally causes post-traumatic healing, post-traumatic growth. So we can go through really hard things, but if we posture ourselves in that place of gratitude that Pastor Jade was talking about, we can end up on the other side in God's redemptive work. These are God's principles right? So posturing our hearts in gratitude is one way that God can bring his redemptive power to our situations. So the Israelites had spent generations in Egypt, a land full of idols. They'd been through a lot of abuse. They'd done all this empty productivity. And even though God had saved them from that place, it took 40 years outside of that for God, with God before they were ready to go into the place he prepared for them. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God uses the process. The work of God building with him, it often requires this patience, but it also requires intentionality. I know that doesn't sound like a super spiritual word, but we see it all throughout the Bible. The Israelites would have easily fallen back into these old mindsets if they weren't intentional to choose God's new and different way of doing things. After this golden calf incident, the Levites had to choose to dedicate themselves to God's plan. And it took some intentionality as they went through the camp and removed some of the people that were um, allowing this corruption to come in. Growing, I grew up in a, in a charismatic church and 
I'm guilty of experiencing things to be kind of like my meal planning, that God is going to show up instantly and miraculously, and I just need to wait for God to come and do all the things. Um, I mean, I became a Christian and entered into the kingdom of light with one prayer, right? I didn't really have this understanding of the fact that I'd been saved, I was being saved, and that one day I will be saved, right? Um, But that's not always how God works. We're not trying to escape the world. We're trying to co-lead with Christ in the world. He's got stuff for us to do. As long as there's a problem in this world, he's got stuff for us to do. I love what John Mark Comer says. He said, God will move miraculously to get us unstuck, but then he engages us with his authority to use knowledge and wisdom to bring answers to problems. A lot of us are probably familiar with the verse in Proverbs 24. In verse 3 and 4, it says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Guys, the things that we do matter. God wants a partner. He wants a friend. He doesn't want us to stay babies, needing him for everything forever. He wants us to stand up on our own two feet, right? I often think about all of the things that God's given us in our lives, the things we've experienced, the things we will experience, the things we do all as things God has given us to manage, has given us as opportunities. If you look, or sometimes I think about it like a house, like we've already established our foundation is Jesus, right? Jesus is that firm, sure foundation that we can stand on and we know that it is good and it is right. But then we have things like our family history, like our geneogram. And sometimes that can be like the floorboards of our house. And maybe they look great or maybe there's some repairs that need to happen there. Sometimes we can think of the walls of our house as some of these experiences we have. Maybe births, marriages, deaths, rites of passage. And all of these things are things God has given us that we're called to steward. Maybe things, even the mundane things, like maybe there's like this laundry room in this house that includes all of those mundane things we do, like our taxes and paperwork and waiting in lines and babysitting kids and all of these things that maybe don't seem like large things, but they are areas where God wants invited in and he wants to do a work. Maybe we have rooms where we've closed the door and we've said, God, I don't really, I don't really want to look at that. I don't want to go there. And God is saying, I'm I want to invade that space. I want to come there. I've called you to steward what I have given you. All of these things are experiences that we hold, that we steward in these figurative houses. And God wants to turn them into beautiful spaces. At the end of 1 Corinthians 3, verses 22 and 23, Paul tells the church that whether it's the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is ours. We're not mastered by the world, but what the world throws at us now becomes an opportunity through Christ to build on what he has begun in our lives. Right now, some experiences might look like damage. Some might need new life. Some might, you've already maybe put the work in and they're beautifully restored. Some things might need completely rebuilt. Some things probably should never have made their way into your house in the first place. And maybe there's some things that God is saying, hey, you should let this in. This is gonna be good and you're just resisting. But God is saying, let, um, I'm calling you to steward and to manage these things. Some of us are sitting and walking in a ton of anxiety because we're waiting for magic to happen. When God is saying, I wanna do great things with you and through you, 
God not only wants to know you, but he wants you to walk in this incredible authority that he paid for, that he's inviting us into. I always imagine the Father God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus in this perfect relationship of joy. And, you know, they're doing things. They're at work. They're in perfect love and perfect grace in perfect peace and perfect generosity. And he's invited us up into that place where they are. And he's calling us to work with him in these situations. And that doesn't mean we get to do it our way. This means that we get to use this wisdom that God gives us to do things his way, the best way, right? In that golden calf story that we talked about, Moses, as I mentioned, stands in the gap for Israel and reminds God of his covenant with them. But I love how Moses and God are in this radical partnership. Like Moses is reminding God who he was in order to save this nation. Moses basically goes into the boss's office and says, you did it kind of wrong. And then told him, according to the rules you put into place, here's what you should do. Like, (laughs) what? That's a lot of, that's a lot of, yeah. Sometimes I have a teenager who's learning to drive and she is learning all of the rules of the road and they are very fresh on her mind. And it can be incriminating as a driver for her to tell me the things that she knows. I have a seven-year-old who uh, is learning addition and subtraction and she'll come and tell me the math, like, mom, this is how you do this and that. And I'm just like, you were seven years old. Thank you. Thank you so much. But it's, as a mom, it blesses your heart. It really does to see these kids growing and learning in these things that are going to make them beautiful women someday um, and that are causing them to grow. And I think in the same way, God loves to see us rule well the things that we've been given. In 1 Corinthians 3, 17, it says, God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. Do you know what that means? That means that because of Jesus, the circumstances of our lives are not only areas we're called to rule and build the kingdom of God with God, but now they're holy moments in the making. They're opportunity for God to come and fill that space, that challenging boss, that prodigal son, that painful thing that may have happened, God is making it into a story of his holiness. It's a promise. I love what Stephen Furtick says. He says, we're called to believe in advance what will only make sense in reverse. The challenges Moses and the Israelites faced in the wilderness, they needed water and they needed food and God provided. They needed to defeat enemies and God helped them. Even in their failures, Um, the things they did that led to failures, like the golden calf situation, I think could be in that category. All of these things became moments where hearts were exposed and God's goodness was revealed. When we reach these places in our lives where there's tension, where there's hardship, we can lean into these things and say, okay, God, what are you showing me? How can I grow? Um, And give me this opportunity and help me to posture myself for that. So how do we posture ourselves in a way that allows us to build on these experiences that life throws at us? I think if we keep going in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we can read and get some perspective on this. It says in verse 1, a person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries. Even when we don't understand all of his blueprints, we still are asked to be responsible and we're asked to be servants of God and the things that he's given us. It says in verse two, in this regard, it is expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful. We're expected to be, take a posture of faithfulness to Jesus as that firm foundation. 
In verse three, it says, it's of little importance to me that, I love this part. It's of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. He's saying, what God says about my life is what I'm gonna hold on to. That's what, that's what matters most. That's what I care about. And then he goes on and it gets even better. He says, for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, and I'm not justif- but I'm not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. We've got to be faithful no matter where God has us in this building process in our journey with the Lord. Paul isn't judging himself in this messy middle. And frankly, he doesn't seem to care what you say about where he is. He's just going to remain faithful. He's going to be responsible to what God said. But he's saying, my house isn't finished yet. And that's okay. It's okay to be right here right now with the Lord. We've got to keep being patient. We've got to keep being intentional and responsible We've got to be faithful stewards of each moment, but we're not going to worry about how far our life is from that complete restoration process. We're going to be authentic and we're going to be faithful to where we are, not what we have yet to attain, as we read in Philippians 3. What God says is enough. Where he has brought me is where I need to be. I love what St. Teresa says. She says, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing make you afraid. All things pass, but God is unchanging. Patience is enough for everything. You who have God lack nothing. God alone is sufficient. Moses is trying to partner with God to build a nation of people, but it didn't seem like it was going so hot. He could have judged that situation at that point and said, you're right, God, this is a total disaster. Scratch it. Let's start over. But Moses knew that God's promise would be fulfilled Like Paul, he chose to believe in advance, not judge the current situation as if it was the end. But in order to make it to the end, he knew that he needed God. He needed his help. Moses and Paul didn't waste time wrestling with people about what their thoughts were about all of the situations and the things that were happening. But Moses did take time to wrestle with the Lord to gain his heart. And I love this part of scripture in Exodus. Can you tell I like the scripture? I love this one. I love this one. I love Exodus 33 verse 12, where it says, Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have indeed found favor in your sight, please teach me your ways and I will know you and find favor in your sight. Now consider this nation as your people. So Moses had been through this incredibly difficult time. The people rebelled against him and all of the things he had done. Thousands were killed. He was probably emotionally exhausted. And in this place, between the pain that he'd experienced and the promise that he was holding on to, he asked for three things. We just read that he said, God, I need to know you. I need to know your ways. And in verse 14, God responds and he says, and then he replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. For if you're in a place where you've been trying to honor God with an area of your life, but you've experienced deep pain or you've experienced disillusionment, I want you to know that God is near to you. You can take off the pressure to fix it or have it all together and allow the Lord to bring you rest. He's not a God that 
is cool with striving. He wants us to work from the rest and the strength that he provides. In verse 15, it says, if your presence does not go, Moses responded, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor in your sight unless you go with us? The second thing Moses asked for between this point of pain and the promise was for God not to take him anywhere that he wasn't leading. Moses was essentially saying, you are the safety and security that we need. You are the rock and shield. You are the horn of our salvation. Make your home in me and we will make our home in you. And the Lord answered Moses in verse 17. He says, and I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Friends, the Lord finds pleasure in us asking for his help. He finds pleasure in us desiring to know him and to be with him. When I read this passage, oh no, and then the Lord said, um, I will do this very thing for you. The thing you've asked for, you've found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please let me see your glory. The third thing he asked for, he says, God, show me your glory. And when I read this passage, I thought, do I have that boldness that Moses has? I mean, to truly fear God, but to also boldly bring my desires like he did with correcting God earlier to bring my desires and my thoughts about a situation as a, pro, as a co-problem solver, as a co-leader, as a king and as a priest? Do I have that boldness? Am I worthy of that boldness? No, but do I get that boldness through Christ and what he's provided? Yes, yes, I do. Do I need God's presence right now? Absolutely. I don't wanna float through my life living a life that's good enough. That, that's not a thing, y'all. I wanna take the talents and the things that he's given me and work diligently to honor my master and my friend. And I need his presence to do that. Don't mishear me, I'm not talking about living this life that focuses on constant production. That's what the Israelites came out of. I'm just talking about this faithful trust and service to Jesus. In verse 19, he said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. This is what Pastor Jade referenced earlier. He asked to see God's glory and God says, I'm gonna show you who I am. I'm gonna show you my character. Think about that verse that says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're saved. The name of the Lord represents this God who is good, who is faithful, who is true, who is gentle, who is compassionate, who is kind, who has self-control. I can't think of all the other fruits of the spirit, but all of those things are who God is. And that's who he wants to be to us in these times where we need saved. Moses asked God to show his glory and he shows him his goodness. He says, God says, let me show you who I really am. The great I am wanted not only to work through Moses as a co-leader and a co-laborer, but he wanted intimacy with him. He told Moses in the next chapter, after this time of intimacy, he says, hey, what I'm doing in you is awe-inspiring. This sounds like pillow talk almost, right? I will drive the enemy out and make way for you to get to the places that I've called you. For no matter where life finds you right now, I believe that as we stand on the foundation of Jesus, we can know with confidence that what God is doing in us now 
no matter how ugly, no matter how hard, no matter how challenging, that it is leading to something that will be awe-inspiring when it's complete. As we allow God to make his home in us and as we encounter him, our lives start to look like he lives there. I mean, if God can turn the death of his perfect son into the most powerful, love-filled act ever, he can totally turn our situations into something glorious. Things that were broken move towards restoration, ashes turn towards beauty, and our messages turn to joy instead of messages of doom. That's what God does in our lives. So worship wants to come up, whoever that is. I want to just share my encouragement for us this morning as we approach almost, we're almost to Advent next week, um, is that God's goodness is at work in the waiting. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, that prince of peace, God who is with us is present and he's at work and he's coming again to make all of it right. My challenge for us is to never stop inviting the glory of God into every area. From glorious moments to the mundane to those messy middles, God wants to reveal his heart. He wants to change you into his likeness. So as we come to the table this morning, maybe you're someone who's never really invited God to be the ruler and the foundation of your life. I want you to know that God loves you right where you are. Maybe the world has thrown a lot at you and life has been very unsure, but I want you to know that God can be trusted. He's faithful. Maybe you're here this morning and you're holding a lot of pain and a lot of frustration over things that have happened throughout your life or that are happening right now. And I wanna remind you that God is present in that space. You're not alone in any season of your life. I wanna remind you that this bread and this cup can remind us that he is present in the pain and that he's purchased beautiful redemption for your situation and your story. Maybe in your disappointment, you started to try to build things that God never called you to build. I feel like for those people, God's saying, I'm enough for you. Will you trust me again? As we take this time to remember what Christ has laid down for us, I want you to determine what not, you might not be meant to carry in this season coming forward. And as we come forward to receive the elements, I want you to ask the Lord if there are spaces and areas of your life where God wants just to be invited in. He just wants to make his home in those spaces to do good and beautiful and glorious things. Amen. If y'all will stand with me, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and exit out the left side of your rows and come and grab the elements and return to your seats and we will take those together. built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but only trust in Jesus' name. Christ
Yes, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of Matthias, if we can put up the prayer of confession, if we didn't do this first service, I want us to pray this prayer of confession. And as we do, we will be thinking inevitably about the ways that we have sinned against God and our neighbor, the things that we have done and left undone. But in particular, I felt prompted sitting down there thinking that we need to repent for the ways that we have prematurely judged God's activity in our lives where we've made judgments and said, God left me, or God wasn't in this. It is just that the glass is dark, as Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to pray this ancient prayer together. And if there's nothing else on your, on your mind to repent from, if you were an angel over Thanksgiving with your families, <laughs> repent at least for the ways and the times in our lives where we have judged the work of God, his absence or his presence in a way that we would have rather him not been present. So let's put this on the screen and pray it together as a church. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Sarah, thank you. Beautiful word and a, a pre-Advent word that set us up perfectly to enter into this spirit of Advent in the approaching weeks with the bread in your hands. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. New Life Midtown, let us receive the body of Christ broken for you and for me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us receive the blood of Jesus shed for the remission of our sins. And thanks be to God for these good gifts. In accordance with everything else this morning, now let's sing the doxology as a song of thanksgiving. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father. It is good for us to have been gathered as the people of God, and now we will be faithfully sent back out into the world. If you would, just posture your hands like this in a position to receive a commissioning. We are the people of God, those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus and filled with the power of the Spirit. Now go out into the world and partner with the work of the Spirit in the house that he is building in you and through you. Go in peace. You are dismissed.